Hi, this is Steve Durr. Today we're going to read from Acts chapter 13, starting in verse 13 and going to verse 43. Quick background, Saul is now going by his Roman name, Paul, to better connect with the people in the region he's traveling to. And so Paul and his companions, Barnabas and John Mark, have just made the trip through the island of Cyprus, and they're sharing the good news of Jesus. And so now they're heading on to their next adventure. So let's pick up their story. Paul and his companions then left Paphos by ship for Pamphylia, landing at the port town of Perga. There John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. But Paul and Barnabas traveled inland to Antioch of Pisidia. On the Sabbath, they went to the synagogue for the services. After the usual readings from the books of Moses and the prophets, those in charge of the service sent them this message. Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, come and give it. So Paul stood lifted his hand to quiet them, and started speaking. Men of Israel, he said, and you God-fearing Gentiles, listen to me. The God of this nation of Israel chose our ancestors and made them multiply and grow strong during their stay in Egypt. Then, with a powerful arm, he led them out of their slavery. He put up with them through 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Then he destroyed seven nations in Canaan and gave their land to Israel as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. After that, God gave them judges to rule until the time of Samuel, the prophet. Then the people begged for a king, and God gave them Saul, son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, who reigned for 40 years. But God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. And It is one of King David's descendants, Jesus, who is God's promised Savior of Israel. Before he came, John the Baptist preached that all the people of Israel needed to repent of their sins and turn to God and be baptized. And as John was finishing his ministry, he asked, Do you think I'm the Messiah? No, I am not. And he is coming soon, and I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the sandals on his feet. Brothers, you sons of Abraham, And also, you God-fearing Gentiles, this message of salvation has been sent to us. The people in Jerusalem and their leaders did not recognize Jesus as the one the prophets had spoken about. Instead, they condemned him. And in doing this, they fulfilled the prophet's words that are read every Sabbath. They found no legal reason to execute him, but they asked Pilate to have him killed anyway. When they had done all that the prophecy said about him, they took him down from the cross and placed him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and over a period of many days, he appeared to those who had gone with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to the people of Israel. And now we are here to bring you this good news. The promise was made to our ancestors, and God has now fulfilled it for us, their descendants, by raising Jesus. This is what the second psalm says about Jesus. You are my son. Today I have become your father. For God had promised to raise him from the dead, not leaving him to rot in the grave. He said, I will give you the sacred blessings I promised to David. Another psalm explains it even more fully. You will not allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. This is not a reference to David, for after David had done the will of God in his own generation, he died and was buried with his ancestors, and his body decayed. No, it was a reference to someone else, someone whom God raised and whose body did not decay. Brothers, listen. 
We are here to proclaim that through this man, Jesus, there is forgiveness for your sins. Everyone who believes in him is declared right with God, something the law of Moses could never do. Be careful. Don't let the prophet's words apply to you, for they said, Look, you mockers, and be amazed and die, for I am doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe, even if someone told you about it. And as Paul and Barnabas left the synagogue that day, the people begged them to speak about these things again the next week. Many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, and the two men urged them to continue to rely on the grace of God. Paul and Barnabas have been called and sent out by the Holy Spirit to bring the good news of Jesus to both Jews and to Gentiles, non-Jews, in new territory, in new places among new people. And so they arrived on the shores of Asia Minor, which is now modern-day Turkey, and they traveled toward Pisidian Antioch. Now, back then, there were a few different Antiochs, and so they were known by where they were located. So there was an Antioch in Syria. And so Paul and Barnabas had worked in and were sent from that church family in Antioch in Syria. But now they're heading toward another Antioch, an Antioch near Pisidia. So it's often called Pisidian Antioch. Well, why go there? They're following the leading and connections of the Spirit of God. But here's an interesting theory of how that may have happened. You may recall that earlier, Paul and Barnabas shared the good news of Jesus with a Roman governor, a leader named Sergius Paulus in Cyprus, and he became a follower of Jesus. Archaeological evidence found in Pisidian Antioch reveals that Sergius Paulus's family was very connected in the city. Therefore, it appears that Pisidian Antioch was Sergius Paulus's hometown, and his extended influential family still live there. So now imagine, you are Paul and Barnabas. You shared the good news of Jesus with Sergius Paulus, and he becomes a believer. Now, you're trying to figure out and sense where the Spirit of God is leading you to go next. And Sergius Paulus excitedly encourages you to share this good news of Jesus with the rest of his family and friends in Pisidian Antioch, his hometown. We don't know for sure if this is what happened or how you know, Paul and Barnabas made their way to Pisidian Antioch, but it certainly is a strong possibility. It's a strong connection. And so Paul and Barnabas and their companion, John Mark, head north by boat to the coast of Asia Minor, and they're about to take the over 100-mile walk over and through the mountains to Pisidian Antioch. But when they arrive in that first major town of Perga, Near the coast, they lose their companion, Barnabas's cousin, John Mark. We don't know why John Mark left, but we do know that Paul felt like he abandoned them, that he shouldn't have gone, that it was unacceptable. Perhaps it was the daunting mountains in front of him. Maybe it was an illness. Or I wonder, this is my theory, if John Mark, who grew up in a devout Jewish home in Jerusalem, was experiencing culture shock in this new land with statues of Roman gods everywhere, idols everywhere, including worshiping the emperor of Rome. There were public baths and other cultural hallmarks of Roman society that would have been offensive and difficult for John Mark to stomach. 
Paul grew up around this culture. He understood it. He knew how to work within it. But not John Mark. Perhaps the way seemed too difficult or maybe too uncomfortable or just too dangerous. But before they make their march into the mountains, John Mark calls it quits, and he goes back home to Jerusalem. Well, Paul and Barnabas make the difficult trek and arrive in Pisidian Antioch. Now what? They go to the local Jewish synagogue, which was their pattern. You enter a town, you want to preach the good news of Jesus, where do you go first? You go to the Jewish people, you go to your people, you go to the synagogue. And while they're there, they're asked to share with the rest of the Jewish community something that they, that they want to. And so here's their opportunity. They have this open door to share. And Paul shares one of his longest recorded messages to his fellow Jews. And he proclaims that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah and he's alive. Often Paul is said to be the apostle or the, the witness, the messenger to the Gentiles, the non-Jews. But the reality is Paul always proclaimed the good news of Jesus to his fellow Jews as well. They were a chief concern for him as well. Now, people are intrigued. He shares the good news to his fellow Jews in the synagogue, and people are intrigued, and they want to know more. And so they asked you know, them to share more the next Sabbath gathering. So, hey, we'd love you guys to share, share next week. Okay. Here's what struck me in this story. Paul and Barnabas are entering new territory. They're seeking to follow the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God has called them. The Spirit of God um, sent them. But where do you go? <laughs> They go to Cyprus because that's Barnabas's hometown. That's kind of his island he grew up on. So where do you go next? I mean, when God calls you, how do you know where to go? Where is God calling you to go next? I mean, for you, have you ever had a situation where you've sensed God's called you, where he's asked you to do something, but you're unsure what to do next? How do you follow the Spirit of God? What if you feel like God has called you and given you a passion to do something out of your comfort zone and, and you're filled with, you know, and, and this thing that God's called you to is just filled with all kinds of loose ends and uncertainty. What do you do? How do you follow the Spirit into the uncertainty? In the story, Paul and Barnabas followed God-given connections, it seems, and opportunities. Sergius Paulus, who became a follower of Jesus, most likely encouraged them to go to Pisidian Antioch, or it was just a confirmation that's a great place to begin, since that's where he was from. So the spirit who led them to this man, Sergius Paulus, is now connecting them to people who may be open in an influential town. Then they arrive in Pisidian Antioch, and they show up to worship God at the synagogue, and there they're given an opportunity to share with everyone. Here's another opening. It's like Paul and Barnabas are calmly and confidently entering into unknown places with their eyes wide open for God to show them their next assignment. They had a yes, God posture and attitude. They trusted that God had gone before them to prepare the way. Now for me in my own life, I like to try and make sure something is going to work out before entering into uncertain territory. <laughs> I like to eliminate risk before I take a risk. Is that even possible? But unfortunately, I find that that just paralyzes me. You know, because making sure it's all going to work out is just often not possible. Also, it can at times 
reveal my belief that I have to be in control, that I have to call the shots, that I have to have guarantee of success in my view of success, that I have to set the itinerary, that I have to have all the loose ends tied up. In other words, that I have to be God. (laughs) And I don't really need you, God. Would you call me God? Would you join me? Would you, would you help me to do something great for you? But I really don't need you, and I'm not going to want to depend on you. It's just too uncomfortable. Here's the thing. If God calls us to do something, and the way seems a bit foggy, I think we can learn from Paul and Barnabas and to take a step into the uncertainty and look for the God who we know is leading us and the one who has called us and the one who's already there. Although planning is wise and essential, have you found yourself experiencing paralysis of analysis in something you sense God is nudging you to do? Are you feeling fearful like John Mark when you look at the mountains and the cost of that calling or mission? Will you trust that God will lead you? And will you wait for him to show you the way? So what's God saying to you today, and what will be your response? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, now lead us, guide us, and help us to see you at work. And then, God, give us the courage to follow. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great day.